All right. That song right there is a great classic by a guy named Louis Armstrong. Song title, What Did I Do to Be So Black and Blue? Uh, this is a song, the title actually comes out of slave tradition, black and blue referring to not only the color of skin, but a depressed state that comes from oppression. Um, black and blue also referring to beatings and sufferings uh, that slaves went through and um, just kind of speaks to the tragedy and the violence of, of slavery and racism. Uh, I encourage you to go and, and listen to uh, that song. Um, let's see here. Um, the lyrics uh, themselves are good too. Um, I have that in another album, but... Um, oh, here we go. Feel like old men Wished I was dead what did I do to be so black and blue? Mm, even the mouse ran from my house. They laugh at you and scorn you too. What did I do? To be so black and blue mm, I white inside But that don't help my case Cause I can't hide what is in my face was for those for this battles myself. How would it end? Ain't got a friend. My only sin is in my skin. What did I do? To be so black and blue All right, so those those lines powerful. Cold empty bed, spring's heart is lead. Wish I was dead. All my life through I've been so black and blue. A little farther down, I'm white inside but that doesn't help my case because i can't hide what is in my face how would it end ain't got a friend my only sin is in my skin wow i, I first started listening to this song when i read ralph ellison's invisible man and if you want to read a book about race tensions but also one about seeing and about redemption and about ways of, of living that are important and an incredibly powerful artistic rendition or artistic, um, a very, very powerful work of art. Uh, read that book. Wonderful. But in that book, he, he talks about this, this song quite a bit. And so 
um, I, I, I started listening to this song years ago and just fell in love with it as, a, as again, a work of art that describes such so much of the pain that, um, that Louis Armstrong is describing about both the slavery system, but also racial tensions and prejudice, racial prejudice. Um, uh, this, I, this song, again, talking about the idea of white inside, uh, what, what does that mean? Uh, it means valuable. It means worthy uh, of dignity. Inside, he's just as worthy of dignity as anybody else. It's not white culture. It's not a color of skin that matters, but what is on the inside. And by white, he's not talking about white culture. He's talking about purity and dignity. Kind of playing with the words there, which is, which is powerful. Um, my only sin is in my skin. Another powerful indictment of our society. And people who have made a lot of skin color, made so much of skin color, too much, and ruined people's lives. Millions of lives have been ruined because of the color of skin. How shallow, how terribly shallow um, human societies have been through the years. And I pray that we can stop that. Okay, well, let's get into this here. Today, we're looking at um, Abina, H, and Akua. Abina, H, and Akua. And, um, and those are some great chapters. Um, Abina is... Uh, uh, one that I love so much. Uh, this is very sad, but really wonderful. So Abina is James Collin Jr. and Akosua's daughter. Uh, so this is the James Collins Jr. is the one who left his, the wealth of of the of the castle to run away from all that and marry this kind of unknown woman from another tribe, Akosua. Because she had a vision, right? He fell in love with the vision in her heart. Um, so they have a, a real love that, that is pretty powerfully shown in this text. That um, starts in this way. As Abina made the journey back to her village, new seeds in hand, she thought yet again about how old she was. An unmarried 25-year-old woman was unheard of in her village or in any other on this continent or the next, but there were only a few men in her village and none of them wanted to take a chance with unlucky's daughter. Abina's father's crops had never grown. Year after year, season after season, the earth split up rotted plants or sometimes nothing at all. Who knew where his bad luck came from? Well, we know. Um, actually, we don't know why it's bad luck, but we know what his heritage is. He gave up tradition. He gave up this slave and slaving culture that he was born into. And because of that, um, he suffers deeply. He was the son of a big man, it says on page 135, the grandson of two very big men. He wanted to live free for himself. <coughs> wow, excuse me. Instead, <coughs> wow, instead of a life that was chosen for him. He wanted his children to be able to do the same. That is all I can say. Go and visit Kumasi. Your father will not stop you. So he um, he was punished in a way by rejecting tradition in, in a land that was very traditional. But as we can tell on page 137, he didn't regret that at all. Um, there is this uh, paragraph, the second paragraph 
Lie on top of me, she demanded, remembering what she'd seen her parents do so many times. Everyone in the village had always laughed at her parents, saying that Unlucky was too poor to get a second wife. But Abina knew the truth, that on those nights when she had slept on the far side of their small hut, pretending not to listen, she could hear her father whisper, Akosua, you are my one and only. Other people saw him as unlucky, but he saw himself as very lucky, as very blessed. Even though the crops did not come up, uh, this, this story really shows the, the, the end of James Collin Jr.'s decision. There were repercussions. It was not easy. And, and, and giving up all that he had was, came at a very high cost for him and for his family. But he saw this as something that was worth it. And so, uh, and so what we see here with Abina, though, is that she does. She suffers as Unlucky's daughter. Um, she suffers in that way. Um, but perhaps she suffers because she is unwilling, um, unwilling to learn, unwilling to grow, unwilling to, to learn from her father and mother, who have an incredibly powerful lesson to teach her. Uh, this character, Abina, seems, seems flawed in so many ways because of her fear because of her insecurity, because in some ways she sees herself as a victim. So she goes to the town and someone sees her on 199, right? No, sorry, 139. Are you a ghost? He asked, almost shouting. Is that you, James? They said you had died in the war, but I knew that could not be. He reached out with his right hand and grazed Abina's cheek, touching her so long and so familiarly that it Ohini Nyarko finally had to remove his hand. Old man, can you not see this is a woman? There is no James here. Of course, this old man is seeing James in his daughter's face and seeing that legacy there. That moves the old man. And it also shows Abina that she comes from royalty. And yet, she cannot tap into that. She is desperate and empty in many ways. She is caught up in the violence that she has suffered as a result of poverty. And she's unwilling to see herself as anything but a victim. And so she makes some really bad choices as we see here, right? Uh, she makes some really bad choices. Um, when she makes this trip to Kumasi, she's been told not to go there because of this very reason, because they know that she will be recognized by the royal family. Uh, but she chooses to go anyway, and, and she's looking for something to satisfy these, these fears and these insecurities in her life. Um, if you go over to page 145, uh, the bottom of 144, Abina, what would you have done differently if you knew the plants would die? She thought about this for a moment, wiped her nose with the back of her hand and answered, I would have brought more water. Her father nodded. Then... Next time, bring more water, but don't cry for this time. There should be no room in your life for regret. In the moment of doing, you felt clarity. You felt certainty. Then why feel regret later? She nodded as he spoke to her, even though she didn't understand his words, because she knew even then that he was speaking more for himself. But now, letting her head move in rhythm with Obin Nyarko's breath and heart, the slow trickle of combined sweat that slid between them, she remembered those words, and she regretted nothing. Now, this is, a, again, a very bad choice that she makes to enter into a sexual relationship with this guy that's not her husband. And she puts herself at the mercy now um, of him and desperately tries to connect herself to him, but, uh, but fails. And it's very tragic. 
she does not understand her father. Um, and, and the sad thing is that she doesn't try to. She's blessed with two parents who love her and who love each other. And yet she's caught up in the insecurity of not having a husband. And she's desperately trying to solve this problem instead of trying to listen and learn from her father and her mother, who are in many ways liberated from a society that has sought to trap others in a violent way. Sadly, she sees herself as a victim and she falls, she falls victim and she allows herself to be seen as a victim to this culture. So, um, if we jump up to, let's see, 152, 152, um, this is Abina who is leaving. Um, you can't leave yet. He said, not yet. He slowly backed out of the doorway, watching to see if she would stay. When she didn't move, he picked up his shovel, went out to a spot on the edge of the land and started digging. What are you doing? Ah, uh, let's see. Unlucky was sweating. He moved so slowly. Abina took pity on him. She took the shovel and began to dig for him. What are you looking for? His father got down on his knees and started raking away the dirt and so forth. And finally, um, he pulled something out, right? Abina sank down beside him and looked at the necklace. It shimmered gold and was cool to the touch. This belonged to my grandmother, your great-grandmother Effia. It was given to her by her own mother. Effia, Abina repeated. It was the first time she had heard the name of one of her ancestors, and she savored the taste of the name on her tongue. She wanted to say it again and again, Effia, Effia. My father was a slaver, a very wealthy man. When I decided to leave Fonteland, it was because I did not want to take part in the work my father had done. I wanted to work for myself. I see how these townspeople call me unlucky, but every season I feel lucky to have this land, to do this honorable work, not the shameful work of my family. When the villagers here gave me this small bit of land, I was so happy that I buried this stone here to give thanks. I won't stop if you want to go, but please take this with you. May it serve you as well as it has served me. That's a bit ironic, right? Because in many, in many ways from the outside, he looks like the most unlucky person, the one who's not been blessed. But he sees differently because he has different eyes, because he has disconnected himself from a very violent and harmful past the dishonorable work of slaving. This one, this character, James Collins Jr., is one of the most heroic in the text, I think. And yet, tragically, his, his daughter does not listen and learn from him. And so she loses the benefit of, of a generational blessing in many ways. She has no vision for what her father has done, and then thus she has no questions for him. She leaves, and she goes to the missionary church, and she finds herself in a whole lot of despairing oppression, which is very sad. All right, that leads us into the chapter called H. It starts this way. It took three policemen to knock H down, four to put him in chains. I ain't done nothing, he shouted once they got him to the jail cell, but he was speaking only to the air they had left behind. He'd never seen people walk away so quickly, and he knew he had scared them. Uh, H is a very powerful person, a giant of a man. He is the baby that was in Anna's stomach when she disappeared from Kojo. Uh, this is a, a baby who, so H is strong and big because his, his, uh, he is in the line or the lineage of Sam, that giant slave we heard back in a previous chapter who had, um, married or was, was, yeah, was, was married to, um, Ness, um, and so Sam and Ness were married, and uh, and this is their grandson. 
um, their son was H and then this boy is from H and Anna. Um, so H was born outside of his family because he was, he was kidnapped when he was still in his mother's womb. And so, uh, this whole first part shows his character development and, and how he, um, was free, but he was pushed back into slavery. And so it's on page 158. Don't nobody want to see a black man look like you walking proud as a peacock. Like, like you ain't got, like you ain't got a lick of fear in you. He rested his head against the cell wall and closed his eyes for a second. How old, how old you was when the war ended? H tried to, to count back. Not sure. About 13, I reckon. Hmm. See, that's what I thought. You was young. Slavery ain't nothing but a dot in your eye, huh? If nobody tell you, I'm going to tell you. War may be over, but it ain't ended. The man closed his eyes again. He let his head roll against the wall this way, then that. He looked tired, and H wondered how long he'd been sitting in that cell. My name is H, he finally said, a peace offering. H ain't no kind of name, his cellmate said, never opening his eyes. It's the only one I got. So H, uh, we have in this chapter use of a flashback or analepsis where it goes back in time and tells how he got into this situation. But H is an important character. This is one of the characters that our author says she sees herself in most predominantly or most dominantly. Um, H, who suffers as a free man, is put back into slavery, and then who is able to find freedom once again um, through friends and through sa the sacrifice of friends. Um, we have some interesting use of time here on page 167. Um, 167. How, how you got to be so strong, man asked. And H shrugged. Go on, roll up your sleeve, show us some muscle. He started laughing, but then he looked at Dinah and her eyes were twinkling in that way that said maybe she wouldn't mind seeing. And so he rolled up his sleeve. At first, both people were nodding appreciatively, but then the man came closer. What's that? He said, tugging where the sleeve met H's back until he'd made an, a rent in the fabric, and the whole cheap thing tore loose. Dear Lord, Dinah said, covering her mouth. H craned his neck, trying to look at his own back, but then he remembered and knew he didn't need to. It had been nearly 25 years since the end of slavery, and free men were not supposed to have fresh scars on their backs, the evidence of a whip. I knew it, the man said. I know he was one of them cons from over at the mines. Ain't nothing else he could be. Dinah, don't you waste any more time talking to this end. So while H is unfairly imprisoned and forced to do slave labor, um, he works his way back into freedom. And his story is one of, of, of emancipation, oppression, and then emancipation. Here, we have a flashback in a way where it talks about 25 years since slavery was over. And in some ways, there's a new kind of black man altogether. One who can write, one who can make connections through literacy, but H cannot. He's been held back. He's been debilitated in many ways by the treatment he's received. And yet, like so many of these characters in Yagyasi's book, he continues to fight for understanding, fight for education, and fight for connection. And so this is a wonderful thing in this text, how we see his fight for connection in his desire to, to reconnect with Aeth, his, his wife Aeth. But on 168, there's a great metafictional moment here when it says, he looked him over. He couldn't, H looked him over. He couldn't have been more than 11 years old. He was knobby-kneed and clear-eyed. He looked just like his father, but he was different too. 
Maybe he wouldn't end up the kind of man who needed to use his body for work. Maybe he'd be the new kind of black man altogether, one who got used, got to use his mind. He gonna write you a woman, the wife said. Nah, H said, thinking about how Aeth had fled the room the last time they were together, fled like a spirit was chasing her. Ain't no need. Well, metafictional here because the use of writing a letter, um, the use of the of, of, of literature or story or writing as a way to reconnect, to connect what has been lost. And so H has lost his wife, he's lost his 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 love. And it's going to be, he's going to be reconnected through language, through story, and through a letter. And so what does this text serve? And what can text, how can they serve us? Well, they can reconnect us to each other uh, by telling stories. We can be connected to one another in new and important ways. Bridging over gaps of prejudice, race, and cultural difference through stories. And through listening to, to each other's stories. And this is a powerful note about the power of story and the power of each individual's story. I think the text itself being arranged in this way speaks to the power and the importance of the individual, not to groupthink or prejudicial ways of categorizing people. All right, so they are reconnected in a very powerful way, and I love the way that one ends. Uh, let's, let's try to hit Akua here, um, see if I can get this one done in the amount of time that I have. Ooh. I don't think that's possible. Actually, we'll end right here. We'll pick up um, Akua next. Thanks.